0: Move on and, and do something else else with my life. Um, uh, I've got to say, you've got to be less subtle than that. If, if you want to uh, say something, you've got to say it right. Like I'm a very concrete kind of person. Um, but we're really the point of the sabbatic wasn't to move on. The point is to be refreshed and to be retooled uh, for the next season of ministry. And, and we love Ludington. We we feel like we're putting roots down here. Uh, we're we're looking forward to being away, and then we're looking forward to uh, coming back uh, ready for the next season. Um, We will be in Alaska, my home state, uh, for uh, all summer long, so we'll be able to see mountains again for the first time in a long time, be able to kind of soak that up and and get some new Alaska stories to to tell. Um, And I've realized over the past month or so that the more my attention has been uh, thinking about... Uh, sabbatical and thinking about alaska i think more and more of the stories and illustrations that i've told have to do with alaska so i feel like i owe you something of an apology for bringing this up again and again and again lately Uh, but then i also owe you an apology because i'm not really planning on stopping that Um, it's really probably only going to intensify over the next uh, month or so here so i guess the expression is sorry not sorry Um, But so growing up in Alaska, we had uh, sled dogs, we had huskies, and um, I think my dad was trying to be as stereotypical as possible. He moved from Massachusetts up to Alaska, and he really wanted to feel like he was an Alaskan, so he grew a big beard, and he got a bunch of uh, dog sleds, he made his own uh, dog sled, dog team, and all that. But if you're not familiar with uh, dog sledding at all, you might uh, think about it as something that's maybe not that great for the dogs. Like, it doesn't seem very nice to strap them into a harness and, and make them pull you along in the snow and the ice. It, it maybe doesn't seem like the best thing for them. Uh, but I can tell you from growing up around Huskies that, that they love doing this. They love to run and they love to pull. Uh, my wife's family grew up with a Rottweiler, and it's a very different kind of dog than Huskies. Um, she made the mistake once of trying to take that dog on a run. Uh, you know, it seemed like people take their dogs for jogs, and so she went along, and they didn't make it very far before she realized that that was a huge mistake. The dog actually just lie down on the ground and refused to budge. She almost had to pick it up and carry it home just to get it uh, back to uh, their family's yard. If you put a harness on that dog and told it to pull something, there's no way it would do it. It would just look at you like you're crazy. I'm not going to do that. But huskies are, are totally different than that. If you put a harness on a husky and attach it to a sled, they can't wait to show you what they can do. It's like they were born for this. They were created to run. They love to pull. They love to do this. This is their great joy in life. And I was thinking about this. And I thought, well, well, what about you and me? What is it that, that really drives our lives what do we love to do what do we when we're when we're doing something what is it that that makes us think man this is what I was made for I mean it's easy with huskies because they're not that complicated but but we're more complicated people than that what is it that that drives our life and and gives that the passion behind us now you might have an answer to that question right now you might think no this is what I do and this is what I love to do this is what I was created for Or maybe you're not sure what that purpose is. Maybe you're in high school, maybe you're in college, and people keep asking you, what are you going to do next? And you want to shout, like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm trying to figure that out, I don't have an answer for that. Or maybe you've kind of given up hope of ever finding an answer to that. You've you've reached the jaded old age of 30, and you think, well, I'm just going to grind it out. I don't know what else there is to do here. There's nothing here for me. I'm just going to do what I do. My family's going through a little book right now called The New City Catechism. It's a set of questions and answers that are designed to, to teach kids about God. And if you grew up in a particular church, then, then maybe you had that kind of a thing in your church as well. But these questions and answers, one of the, the famous beginnings to this uh, is, is the opening question, what is the chief end of man? In other words, the first question out of the book is, what is our biggest purpose that we were created for? What is the ultimate goal of our lives? Did anyone grow up with that? Do you, do you know the answer that question? What is the chief end of man? Anyone know? Oh, no one's going to raise their hand. See, all the old people were in the first service, and now you guys didn't grow up with this stuff. It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And it's to say that, that what we are made for, our greatest purpose, our greatest goal in life is to bring glory to God. That is what we are made for our whole lives, ultimately, for the glory of God. And so as we wrap up our series on these these core gospel truths that that shook the world, we're going to see how all of them come to this final theme, glory to God alone. So that's the wrap up today. We're going to see today how that happens, how the gospel points everything to the glory of God. So grab a Bible. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't know where Ephesians is or if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Just grab one from the pew racks. Ephesians 1 is found on page 1814 of the Pew Bibles. So Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're starting, page 1814 of the Pew Bibles. So as we look at this final theme of glory to God alone, we're going to see how this whole thing is really the work of God, and and then we're going to see how that impacts our lives and what it means for us to live for God's glory. So we start off by seeing that, that all glory goes to God alone because the gospel is God's work from first to last, from beginning to end. This is all about what God himself has done. So let's look at Ephesians 1 and see how this is drawn out here. Now, Ephesians is a letter, an ancient letter, written by an early church leader named Paul uh, to a young church in the city of Ephesus. And here's how he starts off uh, this letter that he writes to them. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, this is coming from one of the, the richest and really one of the densest uh, paragraphs in, in the whole Bible. And again and again, Pilate, Paul is, the one who's writing this, is, is just laying on all of these summary truths of what the gospel is. And in the beginning and the end of what we just read, it's pointing to the big purpose here. Verse 3, praise to God. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of God's grace, or to the praise of his glorious grace. So that's the point of, of all of all of these things that he's talking about. It's God gets all of the praise, and God gets all of the glory. And he gets all the praise and glory because He's the one who has done something amazing for us. And so as he's piling up these different things, he's really summarizing the gospel. He's saying, God has blessed us with every imaginable spiritual blessing. It doesn't get any better than this. And he points to the very beginning. He says, God shows us in Jesus before the foundation of the world And he says what he has done for us, he has adopted us as his own sons and daughters. And in the following verses, he'll talk about how God has set us free from slavery and free from the consequences of sin, how he's bringing everything together in Jesus. And the point of all those really big truths is verse 6. God's work results in praise for the glory of God's grace. So God lets all the glory, because everything we see here is his work. It's a result of what he has done. And he comes back and emphatically says this shortly after this in the same book, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Pastor Travis preached on this a few weeks ago in this series, and we talked about grace alone, and it's reiterating the same point here, our salvation is the work of God alone. That means that you and I, we don't contribute anything to this. It is purely the gift of God rooted in God's grace. And what that means is that none of us can boast and say, look how great we are that we are now followers of Jesus, that we are called children of God. We don't bring anything to the table, so we can't boast. This is all the work of God. And this is emphasized at the beginning of chapter 2, just a few verses before what I just read. You were dead. Now what can dead people do? Nothing. They can't do anything to help themselves. You were dead, but God made you alive. So again, it's emphasizing the same thing. This is all God's work. And because it's all God's work, it's all for His glory alone. And that means that that our lives become a testimony to the glory of God. We We become a testimony to what God has done. See, as we realize what God has done for us in Jesus, the result of this is thanksgiving in our hearts. We are so grateful to God and that overflows to the praise of God for his glory. See, that's what happens when we come to understand the gospel, the good news that in Jesus, God saves sinners. See, the whole story from beginning to end is about God's work from first to last. So think about the beginning. God created us in his, his image. And he created us good, and his creation is beautiful. But as good and beautiful as that creation is, it is tarnished now. And it's tarnished because of human rebellion against him. We have rebelled and turned away from him, and it unravels the very fabric of creation. And yet God, in his grace, rescues and redeems us. He sent Jesus to live a perfect life of righteousness and obedience. And like, This is what it means to live in relationship with God. And Jesus died a sacrificial death. He died in our place. And then God raised Jesus from death to life to show that even the grave is defeated. And today, Jesus is at the right hand of God as the rightful king. That's the summary of the gospel. And all of that is the initiation of God. It's all his work. And that means the result of that is that he is the one who gets glory. And these alone statements that we've been focusing on, that they all advance key aspects of the gospel story. And all of them point to the fact that God is the one who gets glory. So they're reminding us that the good news, the gospel, is about what God has done for his glory. So the very outset, we see that this is the work of Christ alone. Our salvation isn't human initiated. This isn't us discovering something or us being really good. This is solely because of what Jesus has done. His life, his death, his resurrection. And we see that this is grace alone. That reminds us this isn't about merit. This isn't about us being really good people or doing enough good things. This is solely because of what God uh, looks on us with his undeserved kindness. And then we see that this is faith alone, that we receive this. It's not received by us doing a bunch of good things to kind of pay God back or doing a bunch of good things to show that, that we were worth it. No, it's received as a gift by faith alone. And then scripture alone reminds us that It was God's initiative in us even coming to discover this. We we didn't kind of go on this journey of human discovery and, and find the gospel. God sought us out and showed us through his word what he has done for us. And what all of those things together mean is that the only one who gets credit is God himself. He gets all of the glory. So first and last, this is about God. And so all of the glory goes to him. Our salvation is a testament to God's glory. Now, if you hear that and you kind of think through the implications, it's possible for you to think, well, so what place do we have in this? Do we have any significance uh, at all? Do we even matter? we just kind of pawns that get tossed back and forth in this whole thing. Well, we actually find that we have our meaning and we have our significance in the glory of God. So think about it like a sports fan. When your team is doing well, you glory in your team's glory. So when your team wins a championship, you are really excited, and you feel a part of that championship. We say things like, we did it, we won. So a couple years ago, when the Chicago Cubs won their first World Series in, in ages, the whole town went crazy. They, they were flooding the streets and excited. They're singing this song that had kind of become the, the anthem of the Cubs, this Eddie Vedder song, saying, someday we'll go all the way. They're singing it in the streets, and then they're saying, no, today is our day. But wait a minute, if you think about that, It's kind of odd that they're using the first person, we, to say that, right? Today is our day. Someday we will go all the way. Well, think about that. The people celebrating in the streets, they didn't do anything to bring that World Series championship to their city. They didn't get a single hit. They didn't contribute to a single out. They weren't in the front office putting together a team and determining which players to sign. They weren't even in the dugout putting players on the field and calling plays. They're totally passive in this whole thing. So how can they say, we did it? This is ours. Well, it actually makes sense because when glory goes to your team, you get to be part of that. So of course the fans didn't do anything to contribute. And so of course all of the glory and the credit goes to the players and the management and all of that. But fans get to enjoy the celebration of that. They get to glory in their team's glory. They get to share the joy of what has happened to their team. And and that's us here. As we look at the gospel, we see that God has done everything. So all the credit, all the praise, all the glory goes to him and him alone. None of us can take any credit for any of this. But we get the joy of participating in it and saying, look at this amazing thing that has happened. So we get the joy of being able to celebrate what God has done. We actually find our meaning and purpose and our joy in being able to point to what God himself has done. So all the glory goes to God, and then we find our place in giving him glory. So let's talk about more about what that means. So we see, first of all, that, that all the glory has to go to God because he's the one who acted. It's all his work from beginning to end, so he gets all the glory. But then we find our place in realizing that all glory goes to God in our lives. We become for his praise and for his glory. So listen to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. You can just listen. So 1 Corinthians 1 says this, starting in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, this is a reminder of something really important. None of us is in this room because we are the best and the brightest. That's not what this is about. If that was true, then we would have something that we can brag about. But he's saying here that there's nothing that we brag about. The only boasting we have is in God. See, God has been so gracious in choosing us, and he didn't choose us because we were so good, or we had so much potential, or because someday we might do good things to pay him back. No, he chose us out of his grace for his glory. That means that none of us can boast. And what this means is that our very lives then become a testimony to the gospel that results in praise for God. Because it means that people can look at us and see that we are very ordinary people. We, We know that we're not better than anyone else. We have the same faults and the same failures and the same weaknesses as everyone around us. It's not because we're so good that God has rescued and redeemed us. It is solely because of His grace. And so when those who don't yet know Jesus look at the church and see that we're just regular people, all of the praise and all of the glory goes to God rather than us. Our lives become a testament to the glory of God. So let's go back to Ephesians. We're going to see our big purpose here in this, uh, this summary statements of the gospel, right? Toward the, toward the end, verse 11. In him, in Jesus, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And here we get our purpose, verse 12. In order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. So in in this whole reiteration of the gospel, all these amazing things that God has done for us, you and I find our purpose. Our purpose is for the praise of his glory. That's our ultimate purpose in life. It's our chief end. So we're not here to try to make glory for ourselves. We're not here to become famous or to have a lot of fun or to make a lot of money or to be comfortable, to raise great kids, any of those other purposes. That's not what we're about. That's not why we're here. We are here, our very purpose is to bring glory to God. And that's what happens when we believe in Jesus and accept God's gift of salvation. We bring glory to God by recognizing what he has done for us. And that leads us to to one more passage here, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Again, you can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. So 1 Corinthians 10.31 gives this summary statement of our purpose. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, that verse is in a larger context that's talking about our lifestyle choices. Do we eat certain things or not eat certain things? When should we use our Christian freedom? When should we not use our Christian freedom? And all that stuff. And, and here is this, this gem of a principle in the midst of all of that. Everything we do, we do for the glory of God. So whether we choose to drink or not to drink, we do that for the glory of God. Whether we choose to eat some things or not eat other things, we do that and we make that choice so that more glory goes to this great God. That means we don't live for ourselves anymore. We have a new purpose. We live our lives so that more and more people would see the glory of God by trusting in his son. Now that's a huge statement. Everything we do for the glory of God Now if we actually take that seriously, that's gonna totally reorient our lives. See, most of us, if we think about it, we we don't really live with a clear purpose. So if I were to ask you, what do you live for? What is it that drives your life? How would you answer that question? Do you have an answer to it? Or if I, maybe more to the point, were to watch your life. it's gonna become a creepster and, and follow you every moment of your life and see what you say and see what you do, what you spend your money on what would that say about what is the driving force in your life? Maybe you're really conflicted. Maybe there isn't a very clear source. Or maybe there is something that clearly drives your life that's not what he's talking about here. It's not our true purpose. See, what we are told here is what we were created for. We are created for the glory of God. Every part of our life, everything we do for his glory. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. Two men in the early church did something unbelievable. They walk up to this guy who had been uh, paralyzed his entire life. He'd never walked a step in his life, and he's, he's a beggar, and this is all, the only way he's able to get food, is, is to beg uh, next to the temple where the people worshipped. And so this guy's sitting there, and these two men walk up to him, and they grab him by the hand, and they raise him to his feet, and suddenly this paralyzed guy can walk listen, I don't know who you are. I don't care who you are, but if you do that kind of thing, people are suddenly going to find out what your name is. That is the kind of thing that can make you very famous very quickly. This thing doesn't happen because then this guy's jumping all around the temple and everyone says, wait a second, that guy was begging on on the streets for his whole life. I know that he's never walked and suddenly this guy's jumping around. Something amazing has happened. Let's find out what these guys are all about. But listen to what these two men do. This is from Acts chapter four. They say this, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. They say, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now notice what these guys don't do. They don't say, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? Once you come to our church, maybe we'll see if we can do this again. We'll pass the offering plate, put a little bit in, we'll see what we can do. They could very quickly have made a name for themselves. But instead, they say, this isn't about us. We don't have this kind of power. It's not inherent to us. It's not innate to us. This power comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Well, the people understand. Listen how the crowd responds, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That last phrase is everything. These people have been with Jesus. Who cares about Peter and John? I mean, yeah, they they could have made a name for themselves, but this isn't about these guys. This is about Jesus. And very clearly, they're pointing to that. And the one thing that sticks out to the crowd isn't Peter and John. The one thing that sticks out to the crowd is Jesus. There is power in this name. There is something going on here. And it's not about these two men, apparently. Apparently, these guys have been with someone named Jesus, and Jesus is the one that matters. That's how we want our lives to reflect. That's what we want our lives to reflect. That's what drives every part of us. We want people to be able to see what we do, what we say, how we live, and say, these people, they've been with Jesus, and that has made a difference. That's what it means for all glory to go past us to God through his son Jesus. And listen, if we live for anything less than this, it's not enough. Anything less than this is going to leave us empty, and hungry for more. And if you don't believe that, look at some of the things that people who have made it to the very top have said in their most unguarded moments. When they're at their most honest, they talk about how empty this can be. So I saw an article last year on on Aaron Rodgers, who's the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, and he was looking back at the the highlights of his career. This high moment, he he won the Super Bowl. His team won the Super Bowl. This is the, the greatest achievement in professional football. And not only did they win the Super Bowl, but he himself was named the most valuable player of his team. So you think about it, this is the greatest moment of his life. The highlight doesn't get any better than this. And people are talking about how amazing he is. He's on the, the, all over the cover of ESPN and all this stuff. It's just amazing accolades. This guy is awesome. And here's what he thought as the team bus left the stadium. I hope I don't get to do just this. And we think about that, I mean, he has reached a level that so few people ever reach. He is getting all this kind of praise, all this great press, his pictures all over the place, highlights all over the place, and he's saying, well, that's not enough. And that's an amazing statement, but he's right. It's not enough. No amount of attention or fame or personal glory is ever enough because we're made from more than that. We are not made to absorb the glory for ourselves. We're made to reflect glory up to the one who created us and the one who redeemed us. Our very lives to point to his glory beyond ourselves. Now, here's the thing. This isn't theoretical stuff, really, at all. And the problem is we can think of it as theoretical stuff. I mean, glory to God, that's the kind of big level concept that it's easy for us to kind of get lost in thinking about. But when we miss this, it ends up messing up the whole order of our lives. So if, if we get this wrong, it's going to show up all over the place in how we actually live our lives. So for example, if, if I'm going to live for my own glory, and I'm going to attach my glory to recognition at uh, my work or recognition at school or somewhere else, then I'm going to live with this constant sense of frustration every time I feel that someone slights me and fails to recognize how hard I'm working, what I'm achieving, and all of this other stuff. There's going to be a constant level of frustration and disappointment because people can't see what I'm doing. They can't, they're not expressing gratitude or, or anything of, of who I am what I've done, it's going to be tremendously frustrating. Or, or maybe you're going to be more noble than that, and you're going to live for the glory of your kids. And really, living for the glory of your kids is just another way of living for your own glory, But if you're doing that, that means that you're going to put this crushing weight of burden on your kids, and every time they fail to obey you immediately, right away, fully, and all that stuff, it's going to just fill you with rage, and you're going to be always looking out for them, and going to the teacher, and yelling at the teacher, and going to the principal, and yelling at the principal, and all this stuff, because you've got so much wrapped up in the glory of your child, which will then reflect glory on yourself. But we're not created for that. None of that stuff works. It's going to come out in all sorts of ways that are just going to tear apart our lives. And here's the thing. Even if we do succeed and get glory for ourselves or for our kids or something else, it's not enough. You're going to get there and see that the peak's actually higher. And there's always higher and always higher and always higher. There's always going to be this hunger for something more. And that's because it's built into us. Built into us is we are made for more glory than that because it's not personal glory that we're made for. It is the glory of God that we're made for, to reflect glory to him with every part of our lives. This is what we are created to do. Of course, the, the hard question then is, well, how? If we're created for the glory of God, how do we actually give him glory in our lives? Let me suggest two different things. One, we need to cultivate a sense of awe for God and for what he has done and who he is and then coming out of that that overflows then to tell others about what we've experienced about God's greatness so we've got to think of ways how what is it that that draws us to really marvel at who God is what what makes us think God is amazing I I love watching my my son read books because he gets so excited about the stuff he reads so we had this book about bees a few months ago and and he kept stopping and saying, mom and dad, there's so many amazing things about bees. And he would stop and he'd read us a fact about this bee, or read us a fact about that bee. He was just so excited about it. He couldn't contain himself. He was just so excited about this new information. What is it that has that kind of response in your heart to discovering God? Maybe it's through his word and coming back to see, well, what, what is this all about? Or maybe it's spending time out, out in nature and saying, well, God has created all this stuff. Maybe it's spending time in community with others and being able to talk through this kind of stuff. Maybe it's some quiet time in prayer, but we've got to cultivate a sense of awe over who God is and what he has done so that it wells up in our hearts. And then from that, as we bring glory to God by our own sense of awe and excitement over him, that then overflows to the glory of God as we tell other people about him. 2 Corinthians 4.15 talks about how more glory goes to God. It says the grace of uh, the gospel is reaching more and more people, and what happens as the gospel reaches more and more people is that overflows in gratitude and thanksgiving and praise to the glory of God. And here's the thing. Every one of us who's a follower of Jesus gets to participate in this. If, if God has done something in your heart, if he has rescued you in his son Jesus, you actually have a part in this. You have a story to tell. This isn't just for pastors or, or elders or church leaders. This is for every single one of us who has had a, a, the gospel has impacted our lives. If God has rescued you in his son Jesus, you get to be part of this. You have a story to tell. This is the natural outcome of our excitement for what God has done and who he is. When the University of Michigan basketball team a couple months ago won the Big Ten championship, you didn't have to tell Michigan fans to tell the story it was all I saw on my Facebook feed for days. When they made the final four in the basketball tournament, you didn't have to tell them to tell other people about the glory of their team. They couldn't help talking about it. When they went to the championship game, you couldn't get them to shut up about how amazing Michigan was. What a great thing it was to be able to glory in their team's glory. We'll stop there. The God of the universe loves us so much that even though we are imperfect, weak, conflicted people, The kind of people who often mock God and reject God, and sometimes even say that God doesn't even exist, that God looks down at people like us. And instead of just rejecting us, he sends his son to suffer and to die because it's the only way to rescue us. And he doesn't require that we reach a certain level of achievement to be able to get there. And he doesn't make us pass a certain level of intellectual test to be able to get there. He simply calls us to receive the gift of his rescue by putting our lives in his hands, in the hands of his son, and just following Jesus. See, we've got a good story to tell. We have good news to share. And our hope and our prayer is that that would be so, our hearts would be so filled with that, that it would overflow to the glory of God in our own hearts, in our own lives, and then with everyone we come into contact with. Let's let's pray right now that God would do that work in our hearts. God, we are people who very often are stuck in front of the mirror, We're looking at ourselves, we're looking at what's going on. I pray that you would redirect our attention, move the focus of our minds and our hearts away from ourselves and onto you, the only one who truly deserves it. I pray that you would give us a renewed sense of the glory of what you've done through your son Jesus on our behalf. And I pray that that would well up in us, this this excitement of the amazing things that you have done. And the result of that is that we can't help but talk about it and spread the fame of your name, pray that all direction would be not on ourselves, that all attention would be on you for what you have done. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.